I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's a simple greeting you'll hear every day in the Midlands. I love the greeting, A-Up. <laughs> but for my latest Midlander... Those two words say a lot about the people who say them. It says you, you can't be the big I am if you're saying I up. It says, I know you, you know me, we'll be here tomorrow. Let's not make a fuss about it. Henry Norble has worked with top comedians, talented writers, leading actors. But he thinks there's something different about Midlanders who make it. When I think about all the famous people from Nottingham and from the East Midlands, you don't get anybody coming the big I am. I don't think we can. I don't think it's in our DNA. This is Made in the Midlands. This episode was commissioned by the Newark Book Festival and it was recorded in front of a live audience in the town's Palace Theatre. It's hosted by Adrian Goldberg. Is there such a thing as a Midlander? There are people who live in what we call the English Midlands, but do those 10 million or so people have any kind of shared identity? I'm on a mission to find out. Episode 10, Henry Normal. Born in Nottingham, Henry could have been a greengrocer. He was a successful insurance broker. But he became a poet and a writer, helping create some of the best-loved comedies in Britain. With Carolina Hearn and Craig Cash, he co-wrote The Royal Family. His baby cab production company that he founded with Steve Coogan developed Gavin and Stacey. He's still a season ticket holder at Nottingham Forest and he started the Nottingham Poetry Festival. His story takes in a famous record shop, Seamus Heaney, and a cheque for a million pounds. Please welcome the man christened Peter James Carroll, better known as Henry Normal. Hey, up. <laughs> Sometimes you have called yourself a northerner, but 
do you identify with the Midlands? Do you think of yourself as a Midlander? Um, I think when I was younger, there was an anti-London sort of feeling. And there was an us and them about London. I never quite understood what it was that was wrong with them. They'd say soft southerners. And I'd think, well, what's wrong with being soft? You know, I quite like being soft. So I didn't quite understand it. So I suppose in that way, I thought of myself as being not London and therefore... I, I sort of shortcut that to, to the north. But, of course, I've gigged all around the country, so if you, if you gig up in Newcastle, they, they think people from Durham are soft southerners. <laughs> now I embrace the, the fact that it's the Midlands, and, and I love coming from Nottingham. And there's lots of brilliant things about the East Midlands. And there is a certain look to Nottinghamshire, and I, I love that about it, yeah. In terms of the Midlands being a key part of your identity, you, you made a film, didn't you, about Nottingham Forest European Cup win as well, I, I Believe did, yeah. in Miracles. Yeah, I was and a again, producer, yeah. Yeah, and just that sense of growing up with success in football and football being a key to, to your local identity here. Well, I think football is like a soap opera, isn't it? We crave stories, don't we? We're always craving stories. And, and I used to go with um, Nigel Kirkwood, who's a mate of mine who's here, here to... I'll, I'll be stopping at his house later, so I'm, I have to be nice to him. I have to give him a name check. <laughs> that's, that's the price of my bed and breakfast. When we were little, when we were about 14, we'd go and we'd be the first ones in the ground, Trent End, uh, and uh, it would be half one, we'd go for a three o'clock kickoff. And I had a, a red cagoule... And, and I'd, I'd got some snowpake, uh, Tipex, and, and I'd put all the names of the, of the players all down my arms, you know, in Story Moor. That was a long one. <laughs> you know, I put, and then, of course, when he left for Man United, I tried to un-Tipex it out. And I used to love going. And you'd walk down uh, Arkwright Street with everybody else, and it was just like this sort of flood of people. It was a great sense of community and even I'm going back now and some of you are about as old as me so you'll remember they had the first wave of skinheads and the skinheads used to go to uh, for, they didn't go to county <laughs> I, I don't know yeah, the grebos went to county and they, they used to do their grebo dance at county which was, was weird because my brother were a county fan but uh, Forrest had the skinheads and even though I had uh, I had a centre party imagine me at 14 I got centre party and ringlets I, I was a looker <laughs> And I'd go down there and I'd have like a multicoloured T-shirt I got from my sister. And uh, I'd have loons, which were £2.50, uh, and plimsolls. And because I had a forest scarf on, there wouldn't, there wouldn't be, be any messing. But I remember once not having a forest scarf on. And uh, Skinhead came up to me. He got the braces and the, the haircut and everything. And he went, you're not worth kicking. <laughs> And I thought, that's exactly the look I'm going for. <laughs> <laughs> i tell you what, with some of the first poems as such, uh, I'd hear on the terraces. So back in the 1970s, I remember as a 14-year-old, I went, and there was this chant, it went, with a knock-kneed chicken and a bow-legged hen. We haven't had a fight since we don't know when. We don't care where and we don't care when. We are the Trent End boys. <laughs> <laughs> And then they do a little dance. They go, la 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 la. We are the Trenton boys. And oh God bless you, thank you. And I remember looking looking up at them and thinking, you're older than me, Dad. 
tell me where you grew up, Henry. Was it a place called St Anne's? St it? Anne's, yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a lovely documentary that um, is up on YouTube, uh, which was made by Stephen Frears. Now, Stephen Frears directed the film Philomena, so I got to meet him, and he used to live in St Anne's in the 1960s when I was there. I was born actually at home in St Anne's at 1956, and I lived there till I was nine, and then we moved to uh, the, the Noctower place down and we, we moved to Bilborough. And the film Stephen Frears has made is 1969, and you're months away from the 70s, and it's like Bosnia at the height of the war. I looked at it and I watched it through and I wept. I absolutely wept. I didn't know we were so poor. I had no idea that my mum and dad had, had, had to live through that. Because as a kid, you, you sort of live in your own world. We, we used to go and um, play in the bombed out buildings. It's, I must have been about six and I, I found a gas mask in amongst the rubble. And I did the worst thing possible. I put it on and breathed in. And all this air that had been there since 1944, like, oh, went into my lungs and I, I got some sort of pneumonia or something and uh, nearly died. So I, I was nearly the last casualty of the Second World War. <laughs> That's Hitler's plan <laughs> to, to, to get me. And, and to me, that, that, I was having fun and I, I was loved and, and I had great mates and, and it, it never occurred to me that we were poor. My very first memory is, is having a plastic fire engine when I was uh, out for my third birthday, uh, you know, with yellow ladders and, and just, you know, rolling it back and forwards. So to, to me, it, it was never about what I hadn't got. It was what, what I had got. And, and, you know, people say, oh, we didn't, we didn't lock the doors. We didn't lock the doors. It's, it's, it's not a myth. It's, it's a fact. We never locked the doors. Because if somebody came to burgle you, every curtain would twitch. Everybody knew who was in whose who's house. So we've lost something. Yeah, yeah. so that, what, I mean, that was, I guess, an area that was a victim of slum clearance. It I was, guess. it was. And the funny thing was, yeah. we, we owned our slum. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if my dad was quite as astute as I'd like him to have been, but he, he bought it, I don't know, for about three shilling, I should, I should, should imagine, back in them days. Uh, and so we had a different colour door to everybody else, because my mum insisted on it being pink. Uh, uh, so it was like green for the corporation all up and down the road and then this one house in the middle with a pink door because my me, me mum was, she thought she was Greta Garbo or something. Uh, but then, then they knocked them all, all down and they were bad um, and they were damp and I mean there were no central eating of course. If, if you were cold you stood in front of the gas cooker. You'd turn the gas cooker on, make sure your mum and dad didn't know and stand there and I, I got scorch marks on every shirt. <laughs> at the back. I have got great fond memories of those days. And I always remember you had corner shops. And then when they moved us to, to Bilborough, uh, so they made this council estate, they didn't move anybody from our street to Bilborough. Mm. Right? Now you'd think as a sense of community they'd have moved you so that you, you could keep in touch. Nobody from that street moved to Bilborough. So we were moved, I don't know if they like sectioned us off. <laughs> But we, we the pink uh, door lot. <laughs> they, they can get it. So, so, so we went to went to Bilborough, and and we didn't have a corner shop. What you had was uh, a parade of shops that was for for everybody, and, and at the corner shop they would know your name. And so they'd come in and they'd go, oh, uh, "Hello, Henry. You want some fags for your dad? I won't give him any money. They put it on the slate, uh, and uh, get some chocolate. Don't bother about that. Don't bother mentioning that." 
And then when we went to Bilbra, you got this parade and you went to co-op and they didn't know your name. You had a number. So I had a co-op number. So I'd become from having a name, I'd become a number. And I think that's symptomatic of what happened and what's still happening in this way that that sense of community is has been eroded year after year after year until now we're all on the internet aren't we tell me about your mum and dad my dad worked at rally uh, and my mum had five kids so she was busy i suppose my dad must have been busy at some point <laughs> Was there a sense of pride in the fact that he worked for Rally, which now we view as a kind of iconic factory, or was it just another place? Um, yeah, I think, I think there was. I think, you know, there were uh, Rally, Plessy, uh, Boots uh, players, and you, you thought that we're a, we're a city that makes things. I, I seem to remember thinking that was a, a source of pride. My mum died when I was 11, but before that she started up a business of selling fruit and veg door-to-door, a bit like Just Eat. She, except in the 70s and, um, and she was doing really, really well had she not have died I'd, I'd have probably been a greengrocer I'm probably a lot happier <laughs> I, 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 I would think I, it'd be nice to think that I'd be the head of uh, Tesco's by now my dad uh, of course he, he joined the war he was in the RAF as a young man and then he worked at the gun factory in Nottingham and then he worked at Rally. Uh, and then he retired. Always wore a suit, my dad. Throughout his entire life, even as a child, I think, he wore a suit. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was very much an old-fashioned sort of uh, bloke, and uh, I know he loved us to bits, but he would never say, I love you. Never once in his life. He died when he was 90. His last words were, uh, put your hat on. <laughs> it looks a bit cold out there. That was his way of saying, I love you. Put your hat on. I felt very much working class all my life, I think. And even now, even though I've made a few bob. And my dad instilled upon me, and my mum, a sense of duty and a sense of working hard. I say he worked Saturday and Sunday morning, even though he got five kids. And he never would take one penny from government or, or local government. Well, I've got to say that theme of working hard is one of the persistent themes of our Made in the Midlands guests. Your yeah. mum sounds like an absolute force of nature though. Five kids, sets up her own green grocery business. Did her loss drive you into the world of books? Well think? yeah I was very gregarious before then and I'd got no thoughts of books you know I'd sort of wanted to be a, you know, a footballing astronaut. Or, you know, something like that. And then when, when my mum died, I became quite withdrawn. So I started reading books and, and getting into myself and trying to find escapes. And that's a lovely thing about books and, uh, and films, that you can escape into another world. And uh, being on a council estate in the 70s, it was better to escape. I, I mentioned my mate Nige. We, we used to do a disco for old age pensioners back when I was about 16 I had a I say a turntable it was like a dance set type thing and we'd take it to uh, to the old age pensioners club where Nigel's mum and dad used to used to run it and we'd play records from them and uh, sometimes uh, if you played March of the Mods because they weren't very fit 
uh, we play the 45 at 33. <laughs> yeah. And that was where I saw the first ever live comedian. And it was a young bloke, and, and Nigel and I are always joking, and we were joking with him, and he, he didn't say a word. Very quiet. And I thought, well, he's not going to be very funny. And he dressed up as a, as a young kid. He was a grown man, but he dressed up as a young kid. And he went on. And I always remember his first joke. He went, uh, my mum says, what do you want for uh, Christmas? I says, I want something to wear and something to play with. So she brought me these uh, uh, pants with uh, holes in the uh, pockets. <laughs> and, and, and the old people absolutely loved him. And then he came off and he was as miserable as sin. <laughs> And I thought, that, that's obviously what you need to do. I said, no good me being cheerful off stage. <laughs> Throughout our podcast, we ask people for their Midlands memories. And I'm going to take you to school years now, because that's where mm -hmm. your Midlands memory yes. comes from, isn't it? Um, Midlands memory. This is about my school teacher, school teacher. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I'm seeing him tomorrow. I'm seeing uh, my English teacher tomorrow, and I ain't seen him since school, and he's in his 90s. Peter Insky. Uh, uh, Peter Insky. And he was a great teacher. There were teachers at school who'd let you get away with it, and you'd, you'd go into class and you'd say, uh, oh, uh, what did you do during the war? And they'd spend the whole of the half hour telling you <laughs> about the war, and you'd learn nothing. Uh, you know, you want, want history. You know, it'd, it'd be biology or something. But Peter Insky did English and you had to do your English homework, and he was strict, and I loved him for that. And it got me very involved in trying to do my best. That was, that was a lovely thing. You couldn't get away with not doing your best, and I loved that about him. And there's one incident that happened. This, this strange enough, it, it's about school, but it, it's not about school work as, as such. So, um, In class one day, uh, my mum had not long since died. Uh, he said, where's your own work? Uh, and he was at the front of the class and I was, I was towards the back. And I said, uh, I, I haven't done it because I was doing housework. Uh, and uh, he said, that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous that you, you, you excuse. He come up with a better excuse than that. And, um, and I felt really bad about it. And the, the next day, I was in maths, and, uh, and he came into the maths class, and he, uh, he asked the maths teacher if he could have a word with me. He took me out into the corridor, and um, he apologised to me. He didn't know that my mum had died, and somebody obviously told him. And here he was, a grown man, and here I was, probably 11. And it was quite weird because I, I, I felt at school that I wasn't really seen, I wasn't, uh, I, I wasn't really um, noticed. And there was a grown man apologising to a young boy. And for all the things they teach you at school, that sticks with me as integrity. And I wanted to do my best for it. I've got to say I'm a bit emotional now. Mm. 
because as I'm seeing him tomorrow uh, and I'm going to tell him this story and he probably doesn't know this story, he's probably forgot. But what you learn at school and what stays with you is not necessarily what other people think. And I went away thinking, I want to be as good as that man. That's a great memory, isn't it? Absolutely beautiful. I must tell you a little story about uh, Peter Inskeep just because it's just come into my head. Because mm. he got a great sense of humour as well when I was about 13. It was sex education. We had the one lesson. <laughs> and, and you had to write your question on a piece of paper and then he read out the question. And somebody had written and he wrote, read it out, what is uh, OMO? <laughs> Spelled O-M-O. <laughs> And he said, it's a washing powder. <laughs> You've talked a little bit about your dad and, you know, how he was probably relatively distant by today's standards and your mom was pretty gregarious and outgoing by the sounds of it. How much of your own family experience fed into the royal family? Oh, lots. I was very lucky when I arrived in Manchester. I met Carolina Hearn and Steve Coogan and lots of other people. Frank Skinner used to come up a lot from, from Birmingham. Uh, Linda Smith over from Sheffield. And you've got to remember we were very young, so nobody had been on television. We were all trying to, uh, trying to pay the rent. You'd get maybe £30 for a, for a gig, £70 if you were lucky. And we'd travel together in cars. So... You know, if you was going up to, say, uh, Aberdeen, it'd be like four of you in a car going to Aberdeen. You didn't know anybody in Aberdeen. So there was very much a sense of community and a sense of, you know, troops in the trenches about it. So I love that sense of community. And I was offered a TV series called Packet of Three. Now, they didn't actually say like that. They said, would you like to be on television? And I said, yeah, go on then. They said, what do you want to do? And so I said, let's rip off the Muppets. I said, nobody will notice. I'll be Kermit. Uh, uh, Frank can be Gonzo. And I wanted Linda Smith to be uh, Miss Piggy. And they said, oh, no, uh, Jenny Clear is more uh, vivacious in that way. And so, uh, you know, uh, I say it was, uh, it was my idea. I said, we, we've got to film it in the north. So we filmed it in uh, Wakefield. And um, I got all my mates on. So I got Steve doing his first ever national television character Steve Coogan Steve yeah. Coogan yeah I got Dave Gorman on I got uh, uh, Lem Sisse so all, I got all my mates on and every, basically everybody that didn't live in London who were funny <laughs> was on that programme I wasn't very good in it I didn't think I, I would try my best but I think it, you had to be cool in them days and I was a bit too chummy I wasn't very cool and I, I didn't feel very comfortable so I was asked by Caroline to help her write the Mrs Merton show and at the same time I was asked by Steve to help him write Coogan's Run and Paul and Pauline Calf so I was working for both Steve and Caroline at the same time so I was working nights a bit like my dad I was working nights I was working Sundays I was working Saturdays I was working in the morning I was working at night Paul Calf is very working class and very northern and there's a lot of my upbringing, probably my brother Dave, my older brother, in Paul Calf. 
and lots of things that he would say, I'd put into that. But when we sat down to, to write The Royal Family, there was me, Caroline and Craig. Now, Caroline and Craig have both been brought up on council estates as well. Uh, and, and we sat down and Caroline said, what does your dad say? I remember it as clear as day. And we, we sat sixth floor of the, of the Granada building. What does your dad say? And we just wrote down things that our parents said. In the first episode, you'll notice the, the dad, uh, Ricky Tomlinson, says, uh, who's been phoning Aberdeen? <laughs> because all our dads were careful with money. <laughs> like, you know, like my, my dad would say that the, uh, the immersion eater was poisonous. <laughs> and he'd say, are you in this room or are you in that room? <laughs> and I'd say, I, 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 I'm in this room. And he'd say, well, what's the light doing on in that room? <laughs> So we wrote all these things down and people said, that, that's, like, that's like my dad. But it, but it was weird because it took two years to get it to film because the bosses didn't understand. Even the first week he was on, The Guardian said it was written by three posh people. Now, in my wildest dreams, I'd like to pretend I'm posh, right? But nobody could accuse Caroline and Craig of ever being able to pretend that they were posh. It's just, it just not happening. So it's, it's funny how, and now looking back, the Guardian, you go, oh no, we knew, we were like, ironic. We're being ironic. Uh, um, take it up your ass. And um, <laughs> we wrote it from our childhood. This is, this is us remembering our childhood. Right, so, so, uh, but the thing is, it don't change that much. So people think, well, that's actually up, bang up to date. But it was actually us remembering our childhood. N not only words but characteristics of my mum and my dad uh, in there and and us as kids you know my sisters are in there and things I've said. So you'd become a successful Midlands writer which brings us to your Midlands hero oh, yeah. who's that? Alan Silito is one of the the people who made me believe that you could write as a working class lad because you've got to go back so when I'm about 17 and I'm writing in my bedroom, it's not a proper job, as my dad would say, right? Uh, the idea that you could make a living as, as a writer, it, it didn't seem possible. And to write the sort of things that, that I knew. Now, if you think about it, Stephen Fry is a brilliant writer, but he couldn't write The Royal Family because he, he didn't live that. So you, you, it was that idea of being able to write from your own experience. And Alan Silito captured that for me so Saturday night Sunday morning obviously my dad worked at rally and he told me that when he left uh, when he were retired 65 they had the same machines in there that they had in the film that's why they went downhill <laughs> my brother worked at rally and if, if I had to got a soft job I'd have worked at rally so there was there was it was definitely the world that I inhabited that he was doing and, and the loneliness of the long distance runner there's the moment in that and we were taught it at school, but I read it as well, just, just for me. And I remember reading it, and, and there's the, the bit where he stops running. And it puzzled me for a while. When somebody does something that you wouldn't do, you're, you're sort of like, what, 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 why? why are you doing that? And then when I understood that he'd rather lose on his own terms than win on somebody else's. That was something, something epic to hold on to, mm -hmm. and that to be yourself and to to make your own decisions and and define yourself 
and uh, I, lo I love that. And I, you did that personally, didn't you? In that, in that you had a career in insurance, you went off to Hull, we'll yeah. gloss over that, but then you came back to the Midlands to live with your sister and be on the dole to pursue that dream to lose, if necessary, on yes, your own terms. Yeah, and I'd love to say that was entirely down to Alan Silito, <laughs> but I was sat in, uh, in Hull in a place called Cecil the Cinema on my own and I didn't know anybody else and um, um, punk had just happened and, and I got uh, a house and I, I was a head of a insurance brokers right and I was about 22 and there I was I got my knives in the knife bit my forks in the fork bit my spoons in the spoon bit and I was about 70 and yet I was in my 20s and I was thinking what have I done I've, I've, I've lived my life already and too much too young was released and I was listening to Too Much Too Young and then I was sat in Cecil Cinema and Animal House came on. And I looked at these people having fun and I thought, they're older than me. What am I doing? Why have I got this proper job? I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go and have an adventure. So it was, it was uh, wanting an adventure and then going, well, what is it that I can say to the world? What, what, what have I got to add? to the huge soap opera of life. And I wanted to add some truth. And so it's about the truth of my life up until that point. I did actually meet Alan Silito. So when I set up the Manchester uh, Poetry Festival about 27 years ago, I'd done pack to three and I wasn't very happy with myself. And I thought, I've got this money, I've got about 6,000 pounds that they give me. And I thought, I'm gonna use this money to, to make somebody happy and I used about three thousand pounds of this money set up this thing and I invited Alan Silito to come and I put myself on with him so I could meet him and, uh, and here it was his poetry festival and he came up to to Manchester and he said I'm not reading any poems <laughs> and he read short stories and I love him for that uh, cantankerous old bugger <laughs> He was doing what he wanted to do, you know, no matter whether it was a poetry festival. Uh, so it was, it was lovely to meet him. Wow, brilliant stuff. And when you came back to Nottingham, and you've got a little fanzine-style oh, yeah. poetry yeah. book here, I do, what were the places, what were the scenes, who were the people that then gave you the confidence to perform and to be the success that you are? Well, I came back, and this, this is a nice little book. So this is, look at that staggering 19 poems at this was my first book and it was paid for by east midlands arts the cover design was by a friend of mine pete ramskill who's in the audience and is still a huge friend to this day and uh, i've not paid him <laughs> uh, so uh, there, there was a great sense of community in nottingham there, there was a cabaret circuit going on and lots of creatives midlands arts up in ockley it used to be a place I'd go to. And I always remember being on with uh, a bloke who spent 20 minutes beating up a bag of onions. <laughs> 20 minutes beating up a bag of onions, he got 70 quid. <laughs> and he was dressed as a boxer and he beat it up and he'd cry as he was, as he was doing it. And I thought, that's, that's, that's not bad, 20 minutes. 70 quid, I can do that. I do, I do uh, gigs and, and get a bit. And then I, I, I travel around to Birmingham, to Leicester, to Loughborough, and sort of build up my confidence. And, you know, obviously, once they've heard your jokes in Nottingham, you've got to, you, you've got to tell them somewhere else. Uh, uh, so, um, 
so I, 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 yeah, I, I love doing that. that. Little, this, for people who can't see it on the podcast, yeah. it's a little A3 booklet, is Love Science Fiction by Henry Normal, published by East Midlands Art. So, yeah. And in terms of the earliest gigs you did, the Midlands very much nurtured you. And there was one music shop in particular that yeah. you say had a, a real bearing on how you ran your very successful baby care production company. Well, Selected this was more than a shop. They had a settee in there which freaked me out. The idea that you would have a settee in a shop. Do you know what I mean? You went in a shop, you bought something, you came out. You didn't have a little sit on the... I mean, it was a dusty old springy settee. And it smelt of drugs. And it was dark and all the walls were painted black. So if you wanted to buy, like, a Led Zeppelin album or something, you'd either go in boots and you'd change the label so it was 72p. I apologise to anybody who, who bought Ackerbilt for £2.50. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and that was all bright and, and, you know, and there was people buying deodorants and stuff like that. Or you went in Selectedis where nobody bought deodorant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they had the settee and they, and they had bands wanted and, and uh, drummer wanted. And it was, it was like you're entering this, this world. And I'll tell you what the word was. Enthusiasts. It was for music enthusiasts. And that's what I was at the time. I was an enthusiast and I, and I wanted to dwell and to, and to enjoy it. So when I set up Baby Cow with Steve Coogan and we were the first working class comedians ever to set up a production company, right? If you look at all the production companies before that, they're all Oxford and Cambridge. And we were the first people who'd not been to Oxford and Cambridge that set up that. I wanted it to be like Selectedisc. So I got all my mates, I got everybody that I could, and I said, it's, it's like a community arts thing, and I want us all to interact. So the very first show that we made was called Nighty Night with Julia Davis and Rob Bryden. And in that show, we had Ruth Jones, who went on to work with us on Gavin and Stacey. And there was that thing of bringing people on nursery slopes and I did this with the festival, so both the Nottingham Festival and the, the Manchester Festival. I'd put on headliners, so I had Seamus Heaney the day after he'd won the Nobel Prize, wow. right? And I'd put him on with Lem Sisse, who was a young lad at the time and now an international star. I did that with the way that we ran uh, Baby Cow, that we'd bring people on and, and they, they would do a bit part and then they would get their own series. I should have to tell you about Seamus Heaney. So uh, I didn't realise he was coming straight from Sweden. So he'd won the Nobel Prize, uh, like you do. And he came on the plane and we met him at the airport and he got a cheque in his pocket for a million pounds. Right. I said, we've got you uh, on at the art gallery. Uh, it's about 400, 500 people there. I said, we've got you some, some money. He said, have you got cash? <laughs> he says, all I've got is this cheque for a million pounds. <laughs> he said, I can't even buy a Mars bar. It's just great to hear how, even when you were successful in Manchester, how the Midlands and a record shop in Nottingham could influence that culture and permeate through. Which brings us to your Midlands masterpiece, then, which is... Well, I think it's uh, Slab Square, the Lions and the Council House. And I love that we call it the Council House. It's with the old joke of, if, if that's a Council House, I want one of them. <laughs> 
This is in Nottingham. In Nottingham. And, and what it does is it centres you. It gives you a lovely sense of this as the centre. And when I uh, um, uh, put the uh, Nottingham Poetry Festival, I made sure that we had banners on the council house. So it wasn't like this is a festival tucked behind somewhere. Here it was, right on the council. So uh, when I first started work, Ernest Day Knockcut, it was the uh, place I worked, it was on the South Parade. And so I overlooked the slab square, as I call it. And of course, it's changed over the years. When the festival came, they'd have, uh, you know, bands there. And if you look back on the old pictures, you used to have Goose Fair on there at one point. It, it's got that lovely sense of self. And I love that it's got a, a centre. And it's, it's a brilliant building. Uh, I remember at Christmas as a kid going through the centre of the building and seeing all the, the Christmas lights up. And that was a treat. The sculptures and everything, it, it is a gorgeous building. And the square says that we're open. We're open for business. I like that. Yeah, well, I like the fact that we haven't lost you. We haven't lost you either to Manchester or to down south where you live now because you are still well, very active with the poetry I, festival. I would, I would live in Nottingham if you'd had a coast. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, the way global warming's going, that might, I might not be so long. <laughs> My wife has to live by the coast. She's part mermaid. <laughs> well, as I say, you are very active. You've got the poetry festival. Yeah. You still go and support Forest as well. And I tried, I tried just before COVID, I'd set up doing all 64, I think it is, of the Nottinghamshire libraries. And I was going to go, I was going to do it for free because the libraries helped me start. Uh, and this book, uh, that was published because I went to a group at the, uh, at the Central Library. And... Um, that's your first book. That's my first book. And I, I, I wanted to, to give back. So I, we'd set up this tour and I was going to have a different poet with me, a local poet at each one, and we we're going to go around. And then COVID came and we weren't able to do it. So we did some stuff online. And I'm hoping to, to reset it up so that we... Nobody's ever done it and it'd be, it'd be nice to do everyone. Uh, last year, I did every one of the Nottingham libraries. So there's 12 Nottingham libraries and a couple of them they were trying to shut down, which they're not now so I'm very happy with that I just want to get your Midlands manifesto from us then a lot of people who've spoken about this on the podcast have talked about the Midlands being done down a little bit maybe a little bit of chippiness on our shoulder feeling we could do better what's your Midlands well, manifesto I don't know if it's a Midlands but it's certainly a Nottingham manifesto and I, I think it spreads out but I, I love the greeting a up <laughs> It says, you, you can't be the big I am if you're saying A up. Do you know what I mean? You can't imagine uh, Prince oh, King Charles, as he is now, going A up. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It, 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 it doesn't it, work with a posh accent. It, it's, it's, <laughs> it, it, it sort of says that we're on the same level. And it sort of says, to me, it says, I know you, you know me, we'll be here tomorrow. Let's not make a fuss about it. And I remember uh, as a kid, uh, that was sort of my dad's attitude. It was, uh, if there was a panic or so, he'd go, oh, we'll get through it. Don't make a big drama out of it. Let's get it, you know, together. When I think about all the famous people from Nottingham and from the East Midlands, you don't get anybody coming the big I am. I, I don't think we can. I don't think it's in our DNA to that. There is something very... Uh, grounded uh, about it. And, and, and I say, to, to me, the... 
the phrase up encapsulates that grounded. Well, I hear something that's also very West Midlands and therefore is very Midlands. And again, that is a theme yeah. that has emerged. You're going to do a little poem for us, I yeah. think. Called The Lost Arrow. You'll remember when you used to go to uh, Nottingham Castle as a kid. Somebody always nicked the arrow. <laughs> and I always used to think to the council, you've got an outlaw there. Oh, you reckon's our hero? And you're wondering, we're not going to nick the arrow. And I always wonder where that arrow went to. And because I've moved around the country a bit, I sort of identified with the, the arrow, the lost arrow. My welcome is unassuming, instilled from first smack. There is no need for ceremony amongst kin, as if to say, I will see your face again. This is where we are. This is who we are. This is who we'll be when we next meet. There is a matter of factness to this heritage, born from the legacy of human industry, the early morning bus to Rally Island, the truth of hard work done well, openness unbowed and easy civility, warmth in the most cutting of winds. Slab Square is where I celebrate, centred yet embracing change. I breathe to the pace of a northern boulevard. My veins run forest red. I carry Nottingham in my bones. It will outlast this temporary flesh. I have an handcrafted sense of self, individual, yet part of something solid. From red brick terrace to green estate, from bread and lard island to the park, I've lived this old city in all its seasons, loved and ached and mourned at every curb. My accent, is in the architecture, in the unsung history of its pavements, in the immediacy of a Saturday night, in the friendliness to strangers. My souls have worn on these streets, my dreams taken flight under this sky. In the eyes of the grand, I may have little, but what I have is mine. Assured with a quiet defiance, I carry Nottingham in my bones. Nothing under heaven can take it away. Made in the Midlands is devised by producer Andrew Smith. That music is composed by me, Maya Miller-Lewis. I also researched this episode. Richard Berry is executive producer and sound design is by Dan King. We're all Midlanders, as is our host, Adrian Goldberg. There are more episodes with Ken Loach, Jess Phillips, Lee Child and Ellie Simmons, amongst others, available on all the main podcast platforms. Please feel free to review and recommend to your friends and family. And if you'd like to get in touch, perhaps to tell us about your own Midlands heroes, memories, masterpieces or manifestos, email us at madeinthemidlands.com at loftusmedia.co.uk Thanks ever so much for coming and seeing us Listen guys, it has been a wonderful night. Henry Normal, thank you. Made in the Midlands is a Loftus Media production. With special thanks to the supporters of this edition, the Newark Book Festival. Ta-da! Hey up. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.